0: Hi, this is Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet, and this is Guy Pratt, and you're listening to the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
1: Hey, Holly.
2: Hey, Dave.
1: What's happening today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast?
2: I'm feeling awesome yet again as sawsome or maybe even more sawsome than I did last week when we spoke with Nick Mason of Nick Mason's Saucerful of Secrets how are you doing
1: you're sticking with sawsome oh, well very good well <laughs> yeah fun fact he's more spandau ballet than Pink Floyd so I think she is very excited about today's episode because who do we have in our neighborhood today
2: well today we have two members of Nick Mason's Saucerful of Secrets Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt but our listeners probably know Gary Kemp as the guitarist from Spandau Ballet. And when you say well, our
1: listeners you say yourself.
2: That may very well be but I know that we have some listeners like me who know Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet and also we spoke to him last year when he released his solo album In Solo. So we're speaking with him today and with Guy Pratt. He's been playing with everybody including Pink Floyd. So he is well-versed in the music he's playing with Nick Mason.
1: Yeah, as we get into this episode, you'll find out that uh, Holly and I really weren't necessary for this podcast. We just kind of lobbed the ball their way, and they uh, just kind of lobbed it back and forth between themselves. And occasionally they tossed it to us. But for the most part, this is The Guy and Gary Show. How else might someone know what's going on with what difference does it make? And to find out where we're going to be and where in the world we are at any time, at any moment at any given time and place.
2: Oh, you mean aside from being at the Orpheum Theater on October
1: 25th? Yeah, where, wherever our head's at. How do they find out where we're at?
2: You can find out more about us, what we're all about, who we're talking to on our social media at Podcast, And you can check out videos from lots of our previous interviews on our YouTube channel at What Difference Doesn't Make Podcast.
1: All right, so let's get into the Guy and Gary show on the What Difference Doesn't Make Podcast. This is Guy Pratt. And Gary Kemp, right now.
3: I just realized I've been on this show before.
1: We've called you the friend of the show here, so welcome back.
3: <laughs> nice to see you again. Hi,
0: guy.
1: Oh. Hello there.
0: Hi. I had a little listen to some of Steve Diggle this morning.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. He, he's the best. Well, very, very good choice of guest. I wanted to get your, your kind of your origin story with Pink Floyd because I, I believe, I know Gary was considered a blitz kid, I, I'm sure... Yeah, guy, same thing. Is it was it cool to like Pink Floyd? No, absolutely not. No, it was
0: much more visceral in Britain than over here. I mean, it was like you know the music you listened to was the clothes you wore, and you had to be prepared to get beaten up for that. Pink Floyd was so so uncool, except for the sid Barrett stuff. I went to see them do the Wall every night at Earl's Court, looking like Joe Strummer off London Calling, you know, and feeling completely and utterly out of place. When I got the Pink Floyd gig amongst my peers, it wasn't a cool gig to get. so you know but it was impressive it was impressive but it wasn't cool until sorry yeah sorry
3: no go on no go on until i'm waiting i waited with bated breath until
0: the whole acid house thing started and then i remember when we played at main road in manchester in 1988 and suddenly all these kids who noel gallagher told us were just was every football hooligan in the northwest they all discovered ecstasy and they'd all discovered pink floyd and we were
3: suddenly the coolest thing in town and it was brilliant so it all came full circle. They were too happy to make judgments, really, weren't they? But I loved the Floyd from Dark Side, I think, you know, because I was about 13 when I first heard that and went with my brother to see them do Dark Side of the Moon. And I guess my I must have only been 14 when they played at Wembley Empire Pool, and my brother would have been 12. You know, we think of only grown-ups going to see Pink Floyd, don't we? Grown-ups weren't allowed into rock gigs ever. You know, you never saw them. There certainly weren't VIP ticket experiences back then. <laughs> and they did Dark Side and they did um, they did some new material, which which eventually became parts of the next two albums, Shiny Crazy Diamond and Animals. And I was really into them. And obviously when punk came along, I sold lots of my records. And I'm so upset about that. But out of some sort of deep connection, politically, I think, I took them down to, to Cheapo Cheapos in Soho and... Sold all my prog rock records <laughs> still trying to get them back, cause Gary, you probably never even heard the wall when it came out,
0: did you it was just you know who would have
3: who would have played it to you no i heard i I heard the wall when it came out for sure i mean i mean I'm still keen at i mean what year was the wall guy 79. 79, 80. 79. Oh, no i would have i i mean certainly because i mean every you know that every brick was a was a big single, wasn't it, and i did buy it buy it yes, you know I'd sort of secretly buy it. You didn't. You didn't tell anyone. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I do have the copy of the wall. But the early stuff, medal where metal come, came into my life, was definitely the old Grey Whistle Test, because, which is a fantastic TV show we used to have on BBC Two, and it used to have lots of... It was a sort of art music show, and it had pr- progressive groups on it. And Well, it was for albums. It was based on albums rather than singles. That was the point. And there was a famous video that went with one of these days, Cartoon Ballerinas. Do you remember that guy? Yes, it was done
0: by Ian Eames and it was actually done for the band. But um, they never, I don't think they used it live. We used it with David on the last tour. And I think that was the first time it was ever actually used alongside
3: that song in concert. And because of that, I bought the metal album and of course Echoes. You know, it's just, it's part, it's part of, you know, whenever when you'd turn up at people's houses late at night and people of a certain age in double denim, they'd be playing Echoes, which is a phenomenal piece of music.
2: So did you ever think all these years later you would be playing with him? <laughs> Imagine well, he, if he, he said yes. Well, he he did it. He did it first.
3: He, I have to say, Guy, because the, the first—I you know all these stories. He knows everything about me. To, to say, so if he's got a bored look on his face, it's because he's heard it hundreds of times. I promise I won't mention the Sex Pistols gig or Bowie at Hammersmith. You did. You just did. But the very, very first thing <laughs> I ever played with other musicians, I was about 12 and I went to a little drama club, and there were some actors there—young actors, twelve-year-old actors. You know, we were all doing quite doing television at the time. Uh, Phil Phil Daniels was one of them, and a guy called Peter Hugo Daly. We all went down to this kind of counterculturalist's house. This kid was parents with these wild counterculturalists, and um, we went down into the basement, and he had a keyboard, and we brought our electric guitars down, and we jammed, set the controls to the heart of the sun. Yeah all day. That was the only track we wanted to play and uh, that's one of the songs we do every night.
0: I've always said that "Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun" is basically the greatest song that Joy Division never wrote. You could stick it in the middle of "Unknown Pleasures" and you wouldn't bat an eyelid. You know, it's it's the most it's the first piece first piece of post punk. I would say too long, obviously, by about ten minutes, but. <laughs>
3: but it's that bass riff. It's that riff, isn't it? The guitar riff. It's like a uh, which which you can imagine Peter Hook doing, couldn't
0: you? You can start so imagine Ian, Ian Cutters. Little by little, the sun turns around. You know, it's it's pure Joy Division.
3: Sorry, do you want to do you want to butt in and ask any questions at any time for free? You know, because we'll just go. You know, we'll
0: just go. That's the problem
1: talking with Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp of Saucer Full of Secrets. We need to take a break every once in a while, so why don't we do that right now?
4: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price.
2: Welcome back to the "What Difference Does It Make" podcast and our guests Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt.
1: You guys do have a podcast. I don't know if you realize that together. Um, and I listened. I, you know, you got a great first yeah, guest. We realized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, most of the time you're interviewing uh, contemporaries, and it's kind of nice when you we're talking we,
0: to. Yes, yeah, called Rock Tours. and yes, and it's the number one music podcast in Britain. <laughs>
1: We're uh, fans. On the podcast, you did mention like that. Uh, C. Emily play by Bowie was your entry into uh, into Floyd. Who who bought pinups?
3: Yeah, I mean that was. I was just saying, guy, because I think I've said that before. That we, you know, See Emily play was the Bowie version was the first version I ever heard.
0: No, I know, and you and you do. I mean, and there are definite. You know, you can hear the Ronson in the way you play it. Somebody's dreams till tomorrow
3: I took some of the, there's one particular riff that he plays on pinups and see how many play that I still use today uh, in the show. I, you know, I think Sid Barrett and Bo, there was a link between Sid that Bowie picked up on, that Johnny Rotten picked up on. The, all of those sort of post-punk chaps you're talking about, Guy, That they, they all had that element of Sid.
0: No, absolutely. But also, I think there's the thing where which is quite important about pinups, which might get overlooked, which is because when I discovered The Who, which was 70s Who, was fantastic rock band. And you go back and listen to those old singles, which are amazing, but it's the 60s group. And what Bowie did with pinups was he took all those songs and recorded them the way they would have sounded if they'd been recorded in, in the 70s. So, you know, it was this brilliant thing for all the kids who were discovering Bowie. That he was saying, here's the music I discovered,
3: and here it is in a way that's palatable to you. Mm. Except his version of Can't Explain sounds like you put the 7-inch on and played it at 33, doesn't it? It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, but it is metal. It is metal, you know, and Can't Explain is a metal song, really, isn't it?
1: So do you bring that to uh, 2022, like the sound of Floyd from the 60s into the now? How How has the sound evolved?
0: Yes and no. In the, uh, I mean, the sounds are a lot more sophisticated, but there's lots of stuff where I know, you know, Gary and, and Lee both enjoy finding a lot of Lee's old sounds, but then we have, you know, the whole thing is that Dom, you know, cause Dom knew Rick and worked with him, but Dom has worked with me for years and he was in the orb. So he brings that whole psychedelia 2.0 thing. So there's all sorts of slightly ravey kind of electronica elements, which are kind of what Rick would have done if it was later. And it's because it's, if we made did a show that just sounded like Pink Floyd in 1967, to modern ears, it's going to be a bit thin, you know. So some of it, there's stuff you play with, there's stuff you leave well
3: alone. You know, when we first got together with Nick, we were all very much individuals and, and and musically in that we would want to express ourselves musically and creatively, and it wasn't a tribute group. You know, we're not Australian Pink Floyd who try and emulate every single note and Intake of breath. So I think you know that that freedom that we had with the arrangements and with the with the parts was um, was from Nick, obviously, because it's he's allowed to do it. You know, he, he it's his band; he can express it. But the, but the other thing we wanted to achieve in this band was to get across some of Nick's personality. And it is true to say that David and Roger present a rather sort of heavy a lot of it, of deep gravitas in their music, you know, and seriousness. And it seems to have got more and more serious as people have looked back on it over the years. Nick is the polar opposite. He's very, very funny guy and very light personality. And I think we wanted to try and get some of his personality across on stage.
0: Absolutely. But there's also the point that because we're doing that early pink foot, the whole point of that early music because it was all very freeform and very expressive, and and like you know, we we've been listening to lots of bootlegs to learn the songs because they because they didn't play it the same every you know or twice often with a lot of it, and so I think the point is that if you want to sound like early Pink Floyd, you've got to bring some of that sort of expressive in the moment stuff, or you're not actually honouring what the band was.
2: Do you think with this audience that they're expecting it to be true to? Whatever it was, even though it was different every night, true to it was the the vibe of, of what it was.
0: No, I think what people get um not not necessarily because a lot especially with a lot of this stuff, people don't know it that well. They don't know it like they know Dark Side of the Moon or like they know Wish You we Were Here. So you know we got that on our side. The thing is, I've you know because it's I've got a nearly forty year history with Pink Floyd now, and the tough from playing with Pink Floyd and then playing with David for years. The thing you always get with an audience is like, oh my God, I'm seeing David Gilmore play Comfortably Numb. Oh my God! I'm you know I'm I'm hearing them play money, whereas with this audience, it's people going, "Oh my God! I never thought I would hear this song. I never thought I would get to see a member of Pink Floyd playing
3: this song live." So you know it's a different it's a different kind of way. And guys, right? What he says about the sort of how, how much the expectation of certain songs we don't we don't go there. You know when when they're listening, you know some of that later Pink Floyd stuff. Some of those guitar solos are like Shakespearean soliloquies. People know them phrase by phrase, and so the the earlier stuff, I think, we have a lot more freedom with.
2: Okay, and and speaking of the audience, Gary, I heard you comment that in one of your interviews with Nick on uh, rock and tours that you said you were surprised the first time you played live because you you're not used to so many blokes in the audience. But
3: <laughs> That is, that are is... you used to it? I'm getting used to it. It's still an element of disappointment when I see the, the front row isn't a sea of hands reaching out to me. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, no, it's, a, it, it just, it, you know, now, of course, of course, we, we, we actually played to a, very, to, to a lot of very excitable young people across Europe, didn't we, Guy? I mean, it's a mixed audience.
0: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Gary, but you're, you're not playing to your, you know, you're not playing to the Spanish audience, you're playing to you you know what I mean it's-
3: yeah I am exactly exactly a, you mean people with receding hairlines okay. <laughs> but no it's a fantastic audience it's a very appreciative audience you know they hang on every, Nick's every word you know part of the show is we talk you know there's quite a lot of talk from Nick a few storytelling moments and um, you've got to see these people while you can we're getting towards the end of the golden era and, and it's it is great that people like him and the Stones and, you know,
1: Paul McCartney is still getting up on stage. Yeah, actually, I'm next week. I'm seeing Roxy Music.
0: Oh, was so annoyed that we couldn't that we don't cross paths with them. Of course, that's, you know, they're the, the, the friends of Gary and myself. And of course, I played for Roxy. Yeah, that would be great. You're, you're going to have a great night.
1: Okay. Okay. Fair, fair. Oh, good. Good. Good to know. I got, got the thumbs I've up.
0: I've seen the set list, but it's like, you know, come on, man. Roxy
3: music is like every, you know, every one a winner.
1: Well, I mean, you guy, you have a
3: theory, don't you? They sort of invented that lead bass sound. Uh, have I? No. What do you think? You, did, did you say, uh, was it, was it love is the drug? I can't remember. You said it was one of the first types. No love is the drug is the birth of disco bass of proper
0: disco bass. If you listen to the timing yeah, the the timing of good times. It comes from love is the drug. <laughs> Um, which is
3: funny because Chic based themselves on Roxy music. Yeah, because when we interviewed Nile Rodgers uh, on our show, and he was saying that uh, that it was going to a Roxy gig that made him form Chic, didn't you know? And and Chic was the closest name he could get to Roxy music. Yeah, he they called up Bernard. Went, I've got it. There you go. I knew I was right somewhere. Amazing. That's
2: the nicest exactly. compliment you could pay Nile Rogers to say that about you. <laughs>
0: Right. He's still, he's worked with Brian ever since, you know, since, I mean, I've worked with Brian with Nile He's worked with him for years and years and years. Very nice. Anyway, sorry.
1: No, that's quite (laughs) all right. Well, I I guess we could steer it back to to Nick Mason. You you had mentioned on on your podcast that, you know, there was a new Pink Floyd song that came out. And and you were in the studio and you mentioned that it wasn't until Nick Mason sat behind the kit that's like, oh, we have Pink Floyd here. What was it? What was that?
0: It's there's a thing with Nick, and I, it's really interesting because Nick is now getting this appreciation amongst drummers in the same way as it kind of came to Rick Wright quite late from keyboard players. But he's getting this appreciation now, in the same way as Ringo didn't get it and for years, when suddenly all these musicians are going, Hang on a minute, because the, you know, that the, Nick has this, thing, you know, because I know because dr- you know, drummers lose their minds over Nick now. I've played with him so long, I've kind of taken it for granted. You know what a privilege he just has this weird, this loping time thing which is fantastic which is what makes things Pink Floyd you know it's like it's it's just so I don't know oozy and sex Bill Bruford said a really funny thing because the, the joke with Pink Floyd is it's always is, is that everything is so slow my joke is you know David Gilmour was the only person I've ever played with who actually slows down live rather than speeds up and nothing is actually ever slow enough Stuff. if it was up if comfortably numb was played at the tempo he wants it, I'd still be at the Albert Hall from 2016. Um <laughs> but Bill Bruford said when he was on our podcast, said, you know, he said the thing with Pink Floyd is they're
3: not actually as slow as you think they are,
0: which I thought was a really interesting observation.
3: Yeah, I mean it can be those tom tom fills when we know we've got to come in on beat one as the as the as it ends can be quite glacial, can't they? <laughs> and and, and, uh, <laughs> and that's, actually, that's actually the beauty of it, I think. But in the other way, so the Sid Barrett
0: songs are kind of like something like "Bike" is uncountable. Every verse is completely different, and it's bad, And Gary and I had to like rack our brains because we've got to sing it, you've got to pay attention. Da da da. So Nick, it's nothing. Just sails straight through it. <laughs>
3: you know. I've got to bike, we're eating up your airspace i don't
4: know what we do why did you get us on
1: um we asked any questions we do have to wrap it up (laughs) we've got to say goodbye haven't we we will see you guys in la and at the end of october so fantastic yeah look forward to it thank you so very much this was wonderful loved it thank you
2: guys all right
1: So Gary and Guy seem to have a good time. How about yourself, Holly?
2: I had a great time. I could listen to them all day.
1: Okay. Well, you can on their Rock on Tours podcast.
2: I had a great time and I was really pleased to be able to give them a platform for their shenanigans.
1: Sure. Hopefully our listeners had a good time. If you did, this is just a little snippet of what we do every week, every Friday. So please subscribe, follow us on social media. I'm not sure where we are. Where on social media can you find us?
2: i'm shocked you don't know this yet dave but we are at wddim podcast and on youtube at what difference does it make podcast
1: oh wddim stands for what difference does it make we hope to be in your headspace on fridays whenever we drop our new episode so until then this is dave this is holly check you later
2: over and out